You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Outdoor Edge knows that providing a freezer full of meat is part of the reason we all hunt. And what better way to bring it full circle than to process your own wild game? Outdoor Edge provides a full lineup of traditional and replaceable blade hunting knives and complete wild game processing kits to bring your wild game from the field to the freezer. Visit OutdoorEdge.com and at checkout, enter the discount code N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Pennsylvania Woodsman Podcast. Guys, we really appreciate it. If you don't mind helping us out, we'd really like if you'd go and you know all, all the fun stuff wherever you download podcasts if you can give us a review give us some give us five stars do all that stuff it's it's stuff that it's a little thing but it goes a long way for our channel and we would really really appreciate that it's been a blast doing this so far and i can't wait for some of the upcoming episodes that we've got and this week is no different this week robbie and i had a chance to catch up with Dayton Hess and talk about his one heck of a 2021-22 hunting season. Uh, talking about his triple trophy that he harvested, and I, I was giving him a little bit of a hard time that he didn't do it all with the bow, but he got two of the three with his bow this year. And if any of you who've listened to this have ever been successful and got the triple trophy, you know it's quite a quite a cool accomplishment to do here in Pennsylvania and and fill all those tags out. And you know, it's kind of funny listening to Dayton talk about it. A lot of his conversation, he, he kind of kept saying, well, it just, it just felt like luck. It just felt like luck. And you know, there's, a, there's an element of luck for hunting. There's no doubt. There's an element, element of luck to a lot of things in life. But the thing that resonates with me the most is luck follows those who are well-prepared. And I know from chatting with Dayton in the past and understanding what he does to prepare for his hunting season, he does a lot of homework. He, he does as much as he possibly can. And sometimes when the cards aren't in your favor in hunting season, sometimes you got to go with your guts. And, you know, 
you get a little bit of that story, but he definitely set himself up in the best situation he possibly could have, and and he worked his tail off and got it done. And it's a really cool story. You're going to get a lot of detailed information about success in all three species, from the spring gobbler that he just harvested, back to the bear, back to the buck that he killed with his bow. And he's a he's a very detail-oriented person. And I think there's something for anybody listening to this to take away. So looking forward to bringing you this episode. But before we start, i uh, got to do some housekeeping stuff. I want to give a big shout out to Little Mountain Outfitters. Little Mountain Outfitters is an archery shop located in Richland, Pennsylvania. And if you are looking to upgrade your equipment or just get tuned up and get rock and rolling ready for the season, you should go and check them out. You, they've got all the big brand name bows that you would expect, plus more. Um, from from the archery accessories and gear side of things into the hunting side of things he's we've we've got all kinds of different um trades and tools and accessories and you should really be sure to uh to check them out something that will go a long way for you this fall unparalleled customer service guys devon is an awesome bow tech and uh it's definitely worth your time so check them out little mountain outfitters you can check them out on their website or on facebook so here we go with dayton hess all right, we're live, and we got Dayton Hess on the phone, who is a stone-cold killer, and just this week finished up his triple trophy. So, Dayton, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Are you still on cloud nine at this point? Yeah, I'm uh, about <laughs> as high as you can get on cloud nine. <laughs> so, I remember talking to you earlier in the fall after you harvested your bear that, um, you you know, this is, what, your your third bear that you killed in Pennsylvania? Fourth. They're your fourth, fourth one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, did you were you successful in getting a triple trophy the other times, or what did that? What was that like? So this is my third one. I uh, one year I missed out on the buck. I just couldn't find the guy I was looking for, and uh, thought I was going to make it happen late season that year, and it never happened. So I missed out on it. But I see. It's my third one. Yep. Let's see my first bear I missed out on the buck I got a uh I got a bear and a gobbler and didn't get the de- the buck but then the second one um I did get the triple trophy so it's uh it's a pretty cool feat it's it's you look back on it and it's kind of like pinch me I can't believe that just happened you're right it's so a blessing every year anytime you can make it happen that's for sure <laughs> So I guess before we dive into your uh your fantastic hunting season um do me a favor and just introduce yourself tell me about yourself you know what do you do for a living tell me about what you're passionate about in in hunting so to speak and uh you know if you want to share where you're from that kind of deal but uh i'm i'm looking forward to hearing all about your uh your hunting prep and the success you had this year so uh i'm from columbia county um uh, 30 years old i uh i work for the state i do some uh, like construction management, uh, I was born and raised on a farm, uh, which is where I got most of my drive for hunting. You know, I've been blessed to be in an area in Columbia County, uh, that's full of wildlife and, uh, you know, just lucky enough to be born into a farm that has, you know, a lot of acres and it's given me a lot of, you know, ability to be out in the outdoors all the time and, uh, and chasing after the things that I enjoy most. And, uh, you know, other than my family, 
hunting is my, you know, my, my thing, you know, so I spend, I do a lot of trapping as well. Uh, I just spend a lot of time in the outdoors. That's what I really enjoy. You really do. I feel like every time that I get the chance to chat with you or chat with your dad or something, you're, you're always doing something. And that's like, you know, our show's called the Pennsylvania Woodsman. And, uh, like I, I feel like that's part of a, a true definition. Like you are always out doing something and that's, you know, that's fantastic. And, uh, I think that really tails into a lot of your success. So out of all the things you do, I mean, you, you pretty much will dabble in anything. I mean, I think if they had a season for shadows, you'd probably go after it. But um, what do you really gravitate towards the most? Uh, I'm a, if I could only pick one thing to hunt in the whole world, it'd be the, the white-tailed deer. I'm just, I love deer. I love everything about them. And I just, trying to figure them out that's my that's my thing you know i love hunting everything else i love turkey hunting but you know everything that i you know my favorite is definitely the white-tailed deer yeah and you've put some good ones on the wall the past few years um so i wouldn't mind since uh since you're a a white-tail fanatic like robbie and i i wouldn't mind kind of working backwards and in the progression of how your season went and kind of starting off with your uh, your spring gobbler that you just killed this week. So um, I'll uh, I'll do the spoiler alert for everybody that listens to this. But you uh, you actually killed your bear and your buck with your bow this year. And I was giving you a pretty hard time that you should take the bow for the gobbler. But <laughs> I heard uh, I heard your turkey hunting season was a a little bit uh, more difficult than you're used to having. So. Uh, by all means, how uh, how was your turkey season? My turkey season. Well, you know what? I, I'm going to be honest. I was nervous. There was a uh, there was no way after the first week that I was going to keep after it with a bow. I just I knew uh, I had went on a hunting trip to uh, for turkey in mid April out to Nebraska and Wyoming, and when I left, the turkeys we had more turkeys this winter in my area than we had in the past couple of years, which the numbers have been a little lower than normal. And mm. then I thought when I left, they were spread out just like they used to be, you know, everything, they were like in all these little patches of woods. And I thought, boy, it's going to be a good season. And when I got home, you know, I had a couple of days before the season started and I'm like, boy, where'd they all go? And I know we got a big snowstorm here while I was gone. And I don't know if that had something to do with it, but uh, it seemed like they grouped back up and they were in these, Odd groups, love, you know, like four longbeards, three jigs, two hens type of group, you know, the couple that I had found. And, uh, on the first day, I had some almost encounters, you know, I had a lot of action on the first day and I had some at 50 yards and, uh, a group of five longbeards and two jigs. And they were so close together. And at the distance, I was worried about, uh, mm. you know, you know, your, your, your pattern's pretty big at that range. And I just thought, you know, I'm going to have a better opportunity and, and never came. And I thought, well, they're, they're here, you know, and I'll get them the next day. And, you know, it just, it didn't happen there in the first week. I, you know, I called to, you know, the same group. I played the same group basically for most of the first week and just on interest. Mm-hmm. You know, I tried the JC decoy. I try, you know, you try all your tricks on the, you know, and watching them every day, and I, I was after them before work and everything, and they just, uh, 
wasn't going well and then got into the second week and you know i was i started hunting some other properties that i was able to hunt and it just uh it wasn't you know even you know i walked and go to roost at you know eight o'clock and you get there the next morning and you hear him gobble you're 70 yards away and you you call he gobbled to you and then when you hit the ground go the other way you know Mm. you know your normal turkey hunting mishaps that you have and i'm thinking boy this is just not going to happen and uh so at this point you were on your birds you were on birds the whole time throughout the season am i correct yeah well you know i'd go maybe a night or two where i wouldn't find you know i spend a lot of time at night looking because i've had my most success i i you know our farm is basically 97 percent open land and then a little bit of wood so my success has basically been in my past and that's how i hunt everything it's based on what I've had success in the past is, you know, finding the night before and then hoping they land in the field and you can call them. And so I spent a lot of time doing circles around, uh, you know, fields mm. and, uh, you know, and I was finding them at night, uh, you know, three times a week or four times a week, but, uh, and setting up on them, I just couldn't, couldn't make it happen to be honest with you. It just, it wasn't, uh, the typical reaction you'd have that I've had success with in the past when you find them. You know, normally you find a good group. Uh, I've had good success. Was it like henned up kind of like not like turkeys hen- being turkeys henned up or was it something else? Well, I, I'd say it was turkeys being henned up and, you know, and, and sometimes a couple of days I called in, you know, there'd be three hens and, and three long beards and I'd call in two hens and I just call it, you know, maybe, maybe I wasn't just hitting the right, <laughs> the, you know the sweet spot. Sure, you know, sure. Wasn't being, wasn't getting lucky, but you know a lot of, you know the season that I, you know I the the one night there was four longbeards by themselves, um, and I watched them at eight fifteen. I watched them go in the woods. And I knew where they'd be, basically within a hundred yards because of the time of night. And uh, those turkeys never gobbled on roost in the morning. Mm-hmm. You know, it just it was just a. Some of the things that normally happen weren't happening this year. It seemed like the first week was, I'd say, good, and then after that, it definitely slowed down hard. The gobbling wasn't as good. The finding the turkeys wasn't as good. Did it wasn't uh, as good. Did something kind of pick up this this week then that let a little fire in, or did just all the stars align, or uh, what what changed that ultimately led you to uh, to knocking a bird down this week? Oh well, a lot. Honestly, uh, <laughs> just persistence and luck, to be honest, because, uh, you know, that, that group of five longbeards that I had seen on the first day, my neighbor and his, his girlfriend had killed two of them right off of Ruth, you know, in that first week. So it knocked it down to three. And I had seen them a, uh, a time or two, not, you know, on a neighbor farm, or I'd see them at two o'clock in the afternoon, and we weren't able to hunt in the afternoons at that point, and just, they weren't consistent anymore. And just the morning that I found them, I had actually went and hunted with a, a buddy before work and, uh, he had some birds roosted and he could only hunt to like 6.15. And then, uh, we you, didn't get on them. And you I were hunting back. roost birds at that point. Yeah. Yeah. He had roosted them and we were, we didn't even call to him. We were hoping that they'd fly down into this field and they didn't. And when they didn't, he had to leave for work. So I went home. I had, you know, a little bit of time before I had to leave for work and made a loop and they were, 
there was those three birds were out in the, a field and and I, I there was a hen down below and I thought well if I get down below there I might be able to I might be able to get in between there and and just see what happens and I I sat down for a little bit and that hen literally walked right by me right you know within five yards of me and walked right nice. behind me and down through the woods and those long beards followed her and just you know everything worked out it was just it was just everything worked out the right time just did, luck you know did you just call to her consistent. at all Dayton I didn't call to her at all I just I had uh, seen her uh, you know she had been an I say she had nested early. She was feeding in the same field. I mean, and it's just one of those things where you're hunting the same area every day. Like, every day I'd come out a half an hour after, when I'd go to work, she'd be in the same field every day. There was never any, there was never any other turkeys with her. She was nesting right there. It's a thick brush patch. And I just knew that that's where she was going to go. Cause I knew that was that hen. She wasn't there when I, when I came through and she was in that field and those long beards were there. I thought, well, they're going to go back there. And I just, I sat up there. I thought, well, I was going to call, but I didn't have to because nice. she, was, she was walking right at me, you know, and I just let her do her thing, and I just sat there, and they worked by me, and she worked by me, and everything came together. Good deal. So do yep. you um, – I, I learned this from you uh, chatting with the one – after the one you shot last year. I, I think I talked with you about it, and you said the one you killed last year, I believe you shot opening day or the first week. Um but you'd said like you didn't make a call to the one that you shot this year, and I don't believe you made a call to the one you shot last year. You kind of just uh, had a pattern down and figured out how you wanted to hunt them. And uh, I found that interesting because everybody – correct me if I'm wrong, Dayton, if, if that information isn't accurate. No, that, that um, is 100% true. What, what, I, what I find so interesting is, you know, you listen to turkey hunting podcasts, you watch turkey hunting shows, you talk to any big guru – turkey hunting cult individual and you know a lot of the time it's the you know take the temperature of the bird you got to call this way you got to make this call running gun this way and it definitely seems like from your perspective you are way more patient than more more tor- turkey hunters that i get to interact with or have listened to um can you shed light on that and like what your perspective is um aggressive versus kind of just being patient in that respect so, you know, my big thing is, and it's funny you say that because I went hunting with a, a friend out west here this year, and he's like, boy, we hunt so different. And, you know, uh, he's super aggressive compared to me, you know, and and so, like I said at the beginning, I don't have wood, right? So everything I hunt is field, and that's how I've always hunted. So I always know if, if I screw these birds up today, they're not coming back to the field tomorrow. So I guess that's where I've learned my don't mess this up kind of thing. Don't overcall. Don't, you know, I do a lot with decoys. If, you know, like last year, my big thing was I didn't call. I had my decoys out. You know, I knew those birds were going to come into that field because I watched them the night before. And once they see your decoys, you know, you're calling them, in my opinion, you're calling them to see something or not to see something. But once they make that, once I know that Turkey has seen my decoys or seen what they're looking for. I let the decoys do what they're going to do. You know, they know there's a Turkey there and, and you call to me, in my opinion, you calling isn't going to change once they make eye contact with those turkeys, uh, decoys or whatever they may be. Uh, but 
So I've learned to be really patient because I know that like, if I mess this up today, they might not be back to this field tomorrow. And I don't have, I've never had a great turkey, you know, I don't have that wood that's full of turkeys, you know. There's right. turkeys that, and my dad plants soybeans, and the turkeys from the neighbors come over to eat the soybeans, you know. So that's how I've always hunted. So I just, I'm more of a, a weight guy, you know. I, I wait it out, and I'm not super aggressive. Uh I just let let nature do its thing. I'm not. Don't get me wrong. I've called sometimes and had turkeys run 400 yards out of the woods and come right to your into your decoys, and that's great. But more times than not, it's more just me being patient and and uh, watching, you know, doing the research and watching them the night before type of thing. Yeah, I kind of learned that um, the hard way, so to speak, a couple times. Uh, I've been fortunate. I've been able to go down to Virginia the past few years. I wasn't able to go to this year. But uh, the, the farm that I'm able to hunt in Virginia is open cattle pasture, and pretty much all the surrounding woods is on neighboring properties. There's a couple of isolated large oak trees and some large cedar trees in the center. But most of the roosting happens on one ridge that's wooded on the property, and then it happens off of the property. And the, the place is loaded with turkeys, but I've really just learned we kill more turkeys when we get in before light and we're positioned in a, in a location that at some point in the day is going to filter birds through. Now, we've, we've been fortunate. We've killed some birds off the roost with that setup, and we've also been fortunate that just sitting and being patient that we've been able to – and that's, that's bit me in the past because sometimes you're like, ah, ah they're just over that, that ridge. Let's go move on them. In that open country, it's so easy to bust them because they got eyesight like you can't believe. So, um, you know – and I, I, I grew up kind of similar to your approach as being patient. And it's, there's sometimes I actually wonder when I'm hunting in the woods if, if I could get away with more than I do and if I should move. And I, I think it's just all styles of turkey hunting. But um, I, I really like that approach because I think that patience is going to pay off in a lot of times, especially when you can ride the season out like that. Yeah, I totally agree. Can you... Before we get into the next thing, I, I was curious, you were talking about decoy spreads. Would you mind talking about your philosophy or, or approach on decoys if you have one? I mean, is it as simple as I get good decoys and put them out in front of me and hope it works? Or have you learned, you know, doing it as long as you have that way, have you learned certain things that tend to work a little bit more often in the approach of decoys? So 95% of the time I, do, I, I use Avian X decoys. The, the lifelike, you know, expensive decoys. And I found that I, I really think that it, you know, spending that extra money is worth it. Okay. You know? I mean, I've had, you know, just watching turkeys react to them for the last five or six years of using them compared to the, the little foam, you know, $15 ones. Yeah, that's what I use. But 95% of the time, I use a single hen setup. The only time that I don't is when, uh, I, the night before, if there's a couple long beers together, sometimes I have a Jake decoy, a Davian X Jake decoy that I'll put out just for like that territorial, you know, come in to kick that guy's butt type of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but 95% of the time, I just do a single hand. Uh, it seemed to work. That seems to work. If nothing else, that's, that's like my go to and it seems to be. Works best for me. Uh, I've tried. I've tried a lot of things. I've tried more than one. You know, 
I've tried more than one hand. And, you know, I've tried all sorts of different things, but the single hand just, you know, it seems to work best for me. I don't know. I know yeah. a lot of guys have a lot of different opinions, but that's, for my area, that seems what I've been successful with. What do you think, Robbie? That's, uh, with the single hand, that's what, that's exactly what my dad uses. I think he has one of the cheaper ones, but he just, that's all he ever uses is that single hand. And, uh, just to backtrack real quick, when we were talking about patience, that's basically all Dale talked about when we had a podcast yeah, with Matt Dale, Dale, is he just said, I think his exact term was turkeys are going to turkey, and once once they, like you said, uh, lock eyes with that decoy, or once they hear you, they know where you're at, and they're going to do what they want to do, so that patience is key. Yeah, for sure. That's that's cool. I appreciate you you sharing that with us. So, um, continuing on with the theme of the triple trophy, if we rewind back, um, next on your list that you harvested was uh, one heck of a black bear. Yeah, he was a, a pretty pretty nice bear. Beautiful. Had a white white butterfly on his chest. It really, was really cool. That's awesome. Yep, yep. Was nice. Really neat. Was that that was a male, correct? Yep, it was a uh, it was four two hundred fifty pounds. Nice. Uh, that was field dressed. Really, yep, field dressed. That's wow. a heck of a bear. And you uh, like I the, the next thing that's that's kicking me. I'm a I'm a whitetail guy too, but I have it recently have it. under my skin that I want to kill one with the bow. I want to kill a Pennsylvania bear with the bow in the worst way. And uh, like when I heard you, you killed one, I was you know, ecstatic for you. But I was uh, kind of like, okay, that's that's like just another leather notch in. I, I want to make it happen. So, um, you know, were you when you go into a hunting season every year? Do you get into a mode where you get to you start thinking bear hunting and focus on bear, or is bear kind of an afterthought once you harvest a buck? So you know, at this, I've I've killed a couple bears, so I, and I've been blessed to have areas where. I've been able to hunt and hunt bear and, and be successful. So, you know, when I go into season in the fall, my only normal, my real priority is buck, you know, and then I'll super focus on bear if I kill a buck. But if, you know, if, if I'm hunting buck, my priority is buck, right. you know, at this point, I know there's a lot of my friends who have killed a lot of nice buck and all they really want to kill is a bear because they've never killed a bear before. But for me, at this point where I'm at, my always my priority is is buck. I do love to hunt bear, but uh, like I said, my priority is always buck. Mm-hmm. So the you so. Know, this is your fourth one you killed, and obviously you killed this one with the bow. And I I, I want to touch on that here in just a bit. But uh, the three before that were those. Do, do you typically hunt bear um, in bear season by yourself? Um, or do you have you been you know with a group of guys and you know do you hunt you know some some private land tracks, some public land tracks. Like, what is what is bear season typically look like for you in the past, you know, fifteen years or, or whatever? So uh, I killed three bears. My first three bears with a rifle, and they were all hunting uh, a private piece of ground that's surrounded by game land. Uh, hunting with a group of about ten guys. Uh, it was an invite type of thing, cabin mm. that they have. They have 1,200 acres there. And, uh, you know, I shot my first bear when I was 16. I killed the next one when I was 18. I killed my next one when I was 21. You know, so the big years of your life, you know, I was, I killed 
you know, young, young. I was in yeah. high school. Yeah. It was the coolest, you know, like I was, it was great, you know, and it was, um, but it was, you know, a bunch of older guys giving me the opportunity, like, this is a good spot, you know, you be here, you go in this good spot, you know, they, a lot of those guys, it's a good property for bear. People push them in off the game land, pull oak trees and mountain laurel. And, you know, they had it down to a science like this. This is a good spot. You stand here. And, you know, I killed my first, I killed all three bears within 50 yards of, of, of the same spot, you know, three bears within 50 yards. Wow. You know, within a five year period, that's you know, crazy. like that's the, the golden spot, you know, and I was a young kid and they were giving me a lot of opportunity. And then when I was, you know, that 21 to 30, I hunted with the same group of guys in bear season, but I quit getting, you know, I, after I was 20, I didn't stand a single drive. Okay. You know, I yeah. killed my three bears and, and I was, I, I had my success and I was, you know, there was younger kids there now and the, trying to get them bears. And, sure. Yeah. Sounds like the story of yeah, us. I mean, yeah. I, I started, I killed my first bear when I was 13 years old and I've been a driver ever since. And I was just lucky enough that I killed one when I was waiting for a, another drive to get set up as a driver. I was just sitting in, sitting in a hollow waiting. So I, I'm curious, like, you know, you, uh, kind of said you, you had some people, you know, guide you and lead you along. I'm assuming, you know, those three that you killed that were pretty close to each other, were, were they all on drives? Or you, do you guys got to post around game lands and, and use hunting pressure to you, your advantage? Or? No, so this, uh, what, what that cabin does and, and, and those group of guys, they, you eat breakfast till 9 o'clock and you let all the public land hunters push uh, – push the bears and the neighboring properties, push the bears into this, these couple thick areas. And you do like, you know, three or four drives during the day, uh, in these thick patches. And, and they've had success doing that for, you know, 20 years, uh, in the same, or even long, maybe 25 years. It's the same couple patches of, of Laurel, uh, on the same side banks. And, and, and they, you know, nine till three, you okay. know, and then they stop and then they go back and play cards, you know, it's like, uh, you know, the Pennsylvania tradition kind of cabin type of thing. And they just have that magical spot that, you know, there's a lot of bears there, a lot of oak trees, a lot of mountain laurel. And, and they just gravitate to that area. And I've been lucky enough that I got invited to go there as a kid. And sure. It, it's just a good spot. Now, the uh, so you, you kind of described uh, oak trees, mountain laurel. So I'm assuming it's more of rugged rugged bear country and not like that bottomland thick swamp land like in other parts yeah, of the right state there. yeah this is straight up mountain mountain top of a mountain uh area where where those bears have been and, and like this year i actually that's not where i killed my bear this year but um i did kill my bear this year up at my cabin in, in sullivan county that's not this cabin it's uh about uh, probably the crow flies ten miles away. Okay. On another, you know, another mountain over. Um, but, but yeah, a mountain ground basically. Um, one last question I had was, so that that piece that you w- went with those group of guys and you know they kind of led you on and put you in in some good spots. Um, after you know you got a little bit older and a little bit wiser and you kind of saw how things were laying, is there anything that stands out to you that made that spot or, or that setup works so much better than so many other places and stories of people bear hunting. Was there anything that stands out that was just like an aha moment of that's why this is so successful? So that, that, uh, 
place that I killed those three bears. There's a bear killed there every year. Every every year that I've ever hunted there, there's been a bear or two killed in the same. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a flat on top. This Mount Laurel and oak tree, and then this valley that goes straight down the mountain. Uh, you know, it, so it comes off that flat and it, it just rolls. It's just a, it's just a giant bowl, and that bowl turns into a valley and it goes down the mountain. So, you know, it's like that you pushing the bears to that bowl. And then when they hit that bull, they want to go down, okay, to get away, you know, and it's and it's out of the thick stuff. So you're just right at the bottom of that patch of you know a uh, hundred acres of mountain laurel, and they want to get out of that bottom and get down that mountain. And it's just one of those pinch points that you know they they've killed a lot of bucks there. See, I don't hunt bucks there, but they've killed you know you, you stand there to hunt bears, but you see bucks and, and uh, you know animals go by. It's just one yeah. of those natural funnels and it's just you know one of those god-given perfect spots to ambush an animal and that's that's it's what kind it of a is. natural I mean, natural terrain feature that really aids well can you tell me like it sounds like it's a little bit of a slope is the slope more of a, a shaded side hill is it more of a sunny side hill is 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 there anything different from hill to hill that maybe would you know gravitate bear there uh it's the top. It is a top and it's flat and that flat just turns into this, uh, this bowl, you know, uh, it's, uh, I would say it's the, the valley itself is a, a north south facing valley, uh, shaded in the morning and in the afternoon, uh, in the valley itself. It's, it's just an, it's, it's flat. It's, a, it's not like a, a side bank is just like that very tippy top of the mountain. It is the highest point and it's flat, you know, it's just hard to explain, I guess. Sure, sure. Yeah, that that gets tricky um, to explain stuff like that. I know. I wonder, maybe you've done this, maybe you haven't. I, I'm wondering, just thinking out loud, like when it comes to the realm of e-scouting and using, you know, some type of mapping service with Topo, you know, Topo, is that something if you do you think would show up on a topo map like if you were doing e-scouting in an area that would say hey maybe i should check this pinch point out or is it something that it, it's kind of subtle and you see it when you get there no i mean uh, if you were looking if i was hunting white tail buck i would look if i was looking at a map up there and that was the property i had to hunt it'd be one of those spots that you're like i need to get a tree stand in there but mm-hmm. you, you know this thick nasty brush and this this draw coming up and the flat full oak tree. It's like, it's just one of those spots that if you looked at it on a map, you would gravitate towards it. You know, uh, if you were looking at Onyx or whatever map mm-hmm. service you're using, you, you would know that spot, you know, and the old guys found that spot before there was Onyx and all this thing, you know, it, it's just, you would find it naturally or, or through a mapping app, you know, it's just one of those spots that it's like, you know, when you get there, you're like, oh, I'm in a good spot, you know. Like this is this animal should go through here. Yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. That's pretty cool. So uh, enough of uh, enough of that. I, I just had to pick your brain on on like what made that so good. But I want to hear all about the one with the bow because that's extremely exciting. So so tell me about what transpired um, leading to you killing one um, a, a dandy of a bear with your bow. Uh, what actually happened was whitetail buck you know i was after whitetail buck you know so um our farm has always had some quality bucks you know since i was 
in high school, you know, we've had some four or five year old bucks that have been running around and it seemed like up until 2020, you know, we would have quality, but it just the quality has consistently went down from year to year in the last mm. five or six years. And I, mm. I really never, I have a cabin in Sullivan County that I never really, I trapped there a lot, a lot, my whole life I've trapped there, but I've never really hunted bucks because I've really, other than a couple of times, you know, like driving to people and stuff in, in buck season, but, um, not seriously hunted. Uh, you normally I, I hunt just on the farm and in 2020, I started hanging some trail cameras at the cabin because, you know, we have some, I do the, the food plots. My dad's a farmer, so I'm in charge of the, the food plots because my dad doesn't have time to do it. So. <laughs> I do a lot of them. So I hung some cameras out in 2020 and I was after, uh, finding some different bucks that, uh, some bigger bucks, hopefully, that I wasn't having on my farm that year. And, uh, I continued that into 2021. Uh, I actually harvested bucks up there in 2020. Okay. And, uh, and I, ha- I kept that going in the 2021. And, and I don't know about where you were, but, in 2021, uh, last year, there was like, uh, an amazing, uh, nut crop, mm-hmm. you know, all over. And, You're talking um, like, uh, all nuts, like acorns, beech the, nuts. I, the, the places that I hunted, I saw very spotty acorns depending on where you were. However, um, some of the places I hunt, like Combing County, it was one of the best beech nuts crops I can ever remember in my lifetime. Well, and that's exactly, we have no, where in my cabin, Sullivan County, we have absolutely no oak trees and it is 50% beech trees. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we had a beech nut crop like I've never even known that was possible. And, uh, typically the bears that are there, uh, it's full of huckleberry brush and huckleberry swamps. And they're there, all, I mean, you see tons of bear when you're up there in the summer you know, July, August, September, because there's tons of blue, like natural blueberries, huckleberries. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, and as soon as that leaves, which is usually in end of September, the bears leave and they, they move to the next mountain chain over, which is where I was talking, where I normally hunt full of oaks. They move from the, it seems like food wise, they move from the blueberries to the, the, the acorns. Well, this year, uh, I was after a, a buck that was up there. There's a really nice buck. Uh, and, uh, I couldn't keep my cameras on, on tree because the bears were ripping them off nonstop. And, uh, they were just everywhere. I mean, it's just like they were not leaving. They were not leaving this year like they normally do. And, and my food plots were not getting hit like they normally do. And the bucks that I was after weren't showing up because there was, you know, our food plots consisted of clover and soybeans and rashes and those bears were in there foraging all the time wow it was just you know i you know i was at one one day i had nine bears on on between six cameras i had nine Holy different cow. bears that i can identify you know so they were you just, got me frothing at the mouth here <laughs> yeah so but you know at that time i was like the buck that i was after i'm like these, these bears will not let these these deer in these fields it was it was killing me, and I I hunted up there for buck the first week, uh, one day the first week, and I had a bear come right to the bottom of my tree, like one of those nervous encounters, like mm-hmm. this thing going to climb this tree, you know, and uh, and I actually 
I ended up harvesting a buck at home that I was the one that I was after here. And, uh, I thought, well, I'm embarrassed to come back up. I'm, I'm going to try to kill one with my bow up there. And, uh, so bear season came in on Saturday and it rained and I went up to where I had the most pictures. It was a food plot, like I said, clover, uh, long, big food plot, couple, couple hundred yards long, but real skinny. Called like a pipeline type of type of food plot, and uh, didn't see anything that day. I thought, well, I worked. I got done with work a little early. I thought I'm gonna go up, you know, and just sit. You know, I had some deer stands. I'm just gonna sit on the food plot, even if it's for an hour. You know, it's not like a deer hunting. If I if I spooked there, I didn't really care because I was I was already done. I harvested my buck, and I got up there. I was sat for ten minutes, and uh, this bear came out into the food plot you know, 300 yards away, and I'm like, holy smokes, I can't believe, you know, mm-hmm. when you go hunting bear, you really don't ever think that you're actually going to see a bear. Yeah, and it was just like, whoa, and I'm like, and the whole time I'm like, well, it's 300 yards away, and an hour before dark, you know, it's like, it's got a long way to go, and I wasn't getting overly excited because I know how many variables, and, and that bear fed just like a deer would across a field, and he just, you know, a couple steps and eat, a couple steps and eat, a couple steps and eat. And, uh, he worked his way. And I'm like, when he got to a hundred yards, which he was literally sitting under the stand I was going to go to. And I'm like, nah, I'm not going to walk down there. I don't, you know, I think. Yeah, you know, did you I think choose the blind right. because of the, the wind variable? Was the wind iffy that night? Or was it just the sure fact that it was like, well, the wind's good regardless, but it's a little more comfortable here. No, both, both. The wind wasn't great for, I, the bears were coming from all over, you know, like they weren't like a deer where they're coming out on the same side of the field and they were working the way, they were just like everywhere. And it's like, I didn't really feel like one spot was better than the other. And the blind that was there was super easy access. Like I was coming in late and I didn't want to walk across the food plot. I'm like, I'm sitting blind, you know, it's, it's dead center in the middle of the food plot. It's not any better than one side than the other. I can shut the windows if the wind's bad. You know, it was just like, it seemed like a more simple option. Mm-hmm. Like, cause it's just like bear don't pattern like deer. Like you can no. pattern a, a buck, you know, and, and bears just do whatever they want, whenever they want. And it's like, I don't know. And like I said, I didn't really think I was going to kill a bear. I was just like, you know, I was going up for an hour. I was going to enjoy the afternoon. I was already done buck hunting, so the pressure was off. I was just going to kind of just chill, have a good, you know, sit on my food plot that I planted type of thing. And uh like I said, he, he just fed like a deer across that field. And, he, and you know, he's sitting under that, that stand. He literally laid down eating, like breaking in, you know, <laughs> oh, rats. Like just stuff and I'm like, man, I'm, I wish I would have sat there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was like, I can't, it would have been like a 20 yard chip shot. And he sat there for like 15 minutes. And I'm like, it's getting darker and darker. I'm like, he's never going to get here before dark. And I was thinking that and he stood up and he just started walking and he didn't feed until he got to 50 yards from that line. And I'm like, holy crap. He's like, I'm ranging, I'm ranging. And he's like 48, 46, 44. And I'm like, or, and then he started working away from me. I'm like, oh no, I don't want, you know, like I shoot, you know, 70 yards 
in my yard, but I only really like to shoot my bow to 40 yards. Like sure. that's where I really feel comfortable. And, uh, I'm like, man, I, I don't know. And then all of a sudden he kind of started quartering toward me and he got, I ranged him. He was at 42 yards and I'm like, boy, if I don't, he was feeding and he was, you know, just perfectly broadside. And I'm like, I drew back and I, you know, I'd never even sat in this blind. My, you know, I usually hunt out of hang on stands. Mm-hmm. I've never hunted out of blind ever. It was like a a weird instance where I had never been in there. I have hang on things all over up there, and I thought, well. So when I when I drew back, I wanted to make sure that I could actually, you know, it's big windows, but I drew back to test it, you know, because he was, you know, it's getting dark, and I'm like, I got to make sure that everything's good. And I drew back, and I was looking. I'm like, well, everything seems good. I might, I'm already back here. He's broadside, and I and I let the arrow fly, and it was just like it was. It seemed like I haven't shot 40 yards in so long. It just seemed like forever for the arrow to hit him. Yeah. Cause it was like I shot and like that. I'm like, what happened? And then whack, I heard it whack, you know, and that bear just turned and bit his shoulder and spun around and he just instantly went to the ground and rolled and rolled and rolled and he went like 10 yards and he sat up and then sat back down and then he did this, this, this only thing that called is that death mode, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm like, did that really just happen? You know, it was like, yeah. didn't even seem real. And then I was like, I sat there, you know, that was maybe like 20 minutes so dark. And, you know, and there was oats and stuff in this field. And I could see him there. And I'm like, I just didn't want to get out until it was like, I knew I gave him like a full half hour, you know, and I got out. and I didn't even go up to him. I, I left the food plot and called my dad because I was like, I was so excited. <laughs> but I, I, but part of me was like, I don't even want to walk up on him, you know, by myself because I, I was just, I just didn't believe that it actually happened, you know. It was just yeah. so, such a good experience and just luck, you know. It was another, you know, just one of those, you know, just being out there, just being lucky type of thing. So I sure. didn't do anything special. I just, I knew there were bears hitting that food plot a lot and I just, went to sit for an afternoon you know well um one thing i will say and i'll credit you for this and i i take a one the one big thing i take away from this conversation i think back to the episode we did uh with mark lesher in the fall um talking specifically about bear hunting and he and um you know mark's a, a fantastic bear hunter and one of the things he really drove home for me is like you know if you find the food, you find the bears, which makes sense. Yep. But he's he's not afraid to drive miles and miles um, away from their typical old stomping ground, so to speak, to get to where they want to go and hunt. Uh, they will go wherever they got to go where there's food. And then you, know, you you mentioned that uh, where your camp is, uh, it's all beach nuts, and usually the bear leave. And they, they go a few mountains over to where you hunt them where there there's a mass crop. And I think that's a big thing to take away from for anybody is you've got food, follow the food. And I mean, it's and I, I have to agree with you. Like it doesn't seem like you can really pattern the things. It's like if you're in the area with the food and the and the cover and, and all the things you need, then it's just a matter of putting your time in and, and being a hunter and doing it. But um, you know, you, you obviously did uh, did your homework in a sense because you knew there was food holding them. Right. That's right. really and, cool. And, and, and you know, that, those bears hung out there the whole season. I mean, there were still bears there this winter. Like I was, I was up there trapping, and, and I would cut you know young boar tracks 
they're still out digging beach nuts, and they're never there that time of year. I mean, it it was one of those years that, and, and they stopped there the whole year. I mean, and and they're there this spring. Like the mm. bears stayed there because there's still beach nuts on the ground, and wow, it's amazing how those beach nuts held them bears. I mean, it, it, it's truly amazing because there's never. I mean, this was a. It, there's always a couple bears there because it's the mountain, but not not anything like this year. It was a hundred percent food driven. Uh, there's, uh, I've never seen anything like it. It was just, and, and the same thing for the deer. They stayed out of the food plot a lot more than they normally do because there was so much. The beech nuts just, mm-hmm. it just, you know, I mean, food. You you you, you got straight there. It's food, you know. Mm-hmm. Good deal. Well, hey, uh, let's shift gears one more time and let's get into uh, the bread and butter of of your uh, your hunting season, I guess, for you. And that's that's always whitetails, as as we discussed earlier. But um, once again, you uh, you you found a way to get it done. But I remember talking with you toward the beginning of the season or mid season, and um, it sounded like you were a little bit more skeptical this year. I mean, you even said earlier that. Up until like 2020, it's it seems like it's just been a little bit different than it was for years ago, where you're used to hunting. Um, but you uh, you were still able to get it done on a on a, on a dandy. Um, so I, I take the floor with it. I mean, tell me, I know a few years ago you killed a, a an absolute dandy at, at the at your farm there, and there was a, kind of a neat history with with that deer. So I mean. Tell me a little bit about your hunting strategy around your place, and you know what was what was different this year, and how did you um, adjust to get it done? So, so my big, my big, I, you know, I spend the, the deer. You know, I I always like I said in the beginning, we our farm is fields. The deer, all the deer live on the neighbors. You know, the deer that come to our 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 property are the, the neighbors' deer. You know, I call them my deer all the time. That's my buck, you know, my deer. But they're they're really the neighbor. They live on, they live in the neighbor's woods, you know, mm. and they come out to speak. And uh, you know, a thing that, you know, I run a ton of cameras. I have a ton of cameras, and uh, you know, I spend a lot of time looking at trail cam pictures. But my big thing is me and my wife, and and now my daughter. We enjoy, you know, that going around riding around the farm at night and looking looking for deer. You know, it's just like something that we enjoy to do together. And I've mm. I've enjoyed it, you know since I was, you know, able to drive. That's how I, everything I do is almost a, a nightly loop. I have the same loop. I look for the same deer, you know. So so my strategy basically is food, you know, uh, for for everything. Uh, in my opinion, you know, no amount of cover or woods is going to be food. Uh, and I say that because, you know, even in the rut, the, the doe eat, you know, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. you spend enough time on the field edge, you're going to, if you have good bucks, you're going to have an opportunity, uh, even in the rut, you know? So that's my strategy is because that's what I have, you know, is, is hunts field edges, uh, hedgerows, field edges. And now, like I said, I've spent a little time here in the last couple of years hunting, uh, you know, in Sullivan County at my cabin and it's, it's big woods, but you know, when I go up there, it, you can't take me out of the same thing that I've always known is, I hunt on the edge of the food plot. I, I mm. can't, I can't get them to work. That's just, I'd love to, but I just, it's what I know. It's, and you know, it's, it's what, that's, that's my strategy. And, and, and this year, you know, uh, I had a three year old buck last year. He was like a, maybe like a 110 inch, uh, he was 19 inches wide, real short point. You know, me and the neighbor both, uh, had talked about 
him. I had a ton of pictures of him in the winter. And like, you know, what, what's this buck going to be next year? You know, he was, you know, we didn't have many three-year-old bucks that had made it through, you know, and, and uh, coming into the season. We, we really had, since 2020, it really declined. We were having, our age class went down, I'd say, like from four, you know, four and fives to, to two and threes. And, you know, and you were trying to find that, that, that four-year-old type of buck instead of that, maybe that five-year-old type of buck. And, um, we talked about this buck and, and, you know, he was, he was back and forth from one property. He, he wasn't consistent on, on, uh, on my farm all the time, but in the winter we have the food and he was there a lot and we talked about it. And actually my neighbor had found the sheds from him and he told me, Hey, I found the sheds from this buck. And we called him the wide eight because he was a wide, you know, a wide young eight. And, uh, moving into this season, he showed up, you know, that my neighbor's side of the farm, I see him out in the field, you know, in that, in that August, September, and everyone, you know, everyone would say, you see that buck like two feet wide on your hill, you know, and uh, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I've, I've seen him, but you know, he just, yeah, you're not supposed time. to, but I've seen him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You know, and he was, in, and, and he was, he was right there all summer. And then, you know, that magical thing that happens to, to most hunters, they see him the all good summer. Old white tail shift. Thing. Yep, yep, the white tail shift, right? And I knew it was going to happen because I didn't have, you know, I had him the summer before and I had him in that winter, but I didn't have him in the season. And, uh, that's exactly what happened, you know, velvet came off mid September. I'd see him spotting deer at night every once in a while in fields, but he was, he lost his consistency mm-hmm. and my focus kind of shifted. I knew like my best chance to kill him was now in the, you know, last week of October. Like I knew, I knew like after the first week, I didn't have a chance to kill his buck. Like I knew until the rut, he wasn't coming back. Most likely that was my thought. And I focused my shift onto another buck. I was going to hunt the, you know, the couple first days at the, at the farm. And then I had a nice buck at the cabin that was the same type of, you know, class of deer up there. I was going to hunt there when I had, enough time to get up there after work and mm-hmm. uh that's what i did i hunted the first couple of days here he never showed up and there was no other buck at the farm that i was really interested in shooting that i felt like was there i went up there and i hunted that buck and like i said i had a, a couple encounters with some bear and some small buck and uh the season kind of going into the second week and I, the deer just they did that october thing that they do where they quit hitting the field mm-hmm. and my gut told me like, Hey, I always call it, everybody calls it the October lull, mm-hmm. you know, picked in. I call it acorn season. That's what I call it. Yeah. So they quit hitting the field and they, they go to, in my mind, they go to the, the next best thing, which is the acorn started dropping the trees. No sense mm-hmm. leaving the woods when I can stay cool in the, in the woods and eat acorns that are better anyway. So I have, uh, a property that we leave, uh, like a mile down the road, probably from, it's just a big piece of wood, nothing special. Uh, and it got logged a couple of years ago and been super tough to get in and out of because, uh, just the way they logged it, it was just, it's just a mess. Mm-hmm. The deer didn't do what they normally did in there anymore. And there's more pressure there than there used to be from the, it just, it wasn't what it used to be. And I thought, you know, there, I have no, I didn't have time to get to the cabin. 
you know, it's a 45 minute drive and they're in the field. And I had a tree stand up in there and I thought it was, uh, gonna be, uh, I had a day off work coming for Columbus Day. Uh, and that was on Monday and I put that Friday. I'm going to go up there after work. It's a morning spot. It's just not an afternoon spot. I've never really had success there in the, in the afternoon. So I thought, I'm going to go up there. I'm going to take a ratchet strap with me after work. I'm going to check this tree. I didn't even go up there this, because I wasn't going to hunt there. I wasn't going to hunt mm-hmm. there this year. I had a tree stand up. I thought, I'll go take the seat up with me. I'll just scout. See what's happening up there. It's right on the edge of this, this old cut. And, uh, I went up there and I was, it was 85 degrees. Mm. And I walked up a giant hill covered in sweat and I was thinking, I, if, I would never see a deer in the I stunk so bad. Like I was covered in sweat. Mm. Put a new ratchet strap on. You know how it is when you're hanging off yeah. the tree putting a ratchet strap. I sat down there and, uh, just kind of enjoying the night and I took all my, you know, I down to it just a long sleeve shirt and thought, well, when I, when it gets closer to dark, I'll start putting my clothes on. And I sat there for like 20 minutes and just again, another, luck thing this this 16 inch eight pointer comes walking the same up the same trail that i walked in on and uh i'll never forget it because there's pokeberries just got logs and there's this pokeberry weed you know that they have the purple berries yep and this the 16 inch buck had purple horns like he had just rubbed this this pokeberry and I, i was just like in awe looking at this purple horn buck and uh I'm like, holy crap, that's my buck. Here comes my buck behind him, you know? No way. And, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, I, and I was a hundred percent that he was not living in this area. He was, uh, I, I really thought he was two hillsides over is where his core area was. And it still might have been, I don't know, but I wouldn't, I wasn't expecting to see this buck there. You know, I was hoping to find a buck that I'd never seen. It's far enough away, this wood that it draws in a couple different farms on the other side and, it's one of those spots that I, I don't, you never know where you're going to get there. You can pull bucks from different areas, pull bucks from my own farm, but it's just a different spot to hunt. Mm. And there he walked and he, he walked into like, you know, to make a long story short, it was like a, a standoff there for a little while, but uh, he walked in like 25 yards and I was able to get a, an arrow into him. And he took off and, and, uh, only went about a hundred yards and, and, and crashed so it was it was awesome just like one of those gifts from god that you're just like boy that was not supposed to happen but thank you, you <laughs> I've, know? Been, I've been in those but those are kind of extra sweet so yeah. I'm, I'm curious after you killed that deer um I'm, I'm sure you know there was some amazement and bat you know a little bit baffled by you know what transpired did you go back and kind of try to break that apart and try to figure out it or, or try to put in your, uh, a picture in your mind of why that happened the way it did is there anything that stood out said so, you know what it makes sense now that this that this deer moved into this piece of woods that we lease um or anything like that that says you know what i i i, I get it uh yes and no so uh where i was seeing him was that was the side of the farm he was on was the side that he was he was like two valleys over on this giant ridge and at the time you know i knew my neighbor i guess most of my most of my putting things together before the season was my neighbor has him here i know where my neighbor's property is and Mm -hmm. he was sharing 
we share we share pictures and we share information with each other. We're a good neighbor, you know, just like one of those neighbors. Sure. Like, he wants success for me. I want success for him, you know. And um, I knew that he was having him a lot more than me, right? So I thought his poor area was more that way. Um, but looking back, we were both on maybe the the outer circle of it all. We might have been, you know, the outer circle of, well, this is because we were seeing, you know, and it makes sense now that I was seeing him spotting deer mm-hmm. instead of out in the fields at, you know, uh, dusk. You know, he was there at eight o'clock and nine o'clock, not six o'clock. Mm. You know, it was taking him three hours. He was working. He, was, he, I think he had just a big core area. I think he was, and, and that's why in the winter he was there. You know, because the food was there, but in the in the summer and the fall, he was in that giant. You know, in that that woods that I'm talking about hunting is, you know, it's only a, a 150 acre piece that I'm able to hunt, but that woods in general might be a thousand acre piece uh, with fields. It's a it's a perfect. It's a it's too hollow. It's a big for for around where I live. It's a giant piece of woods. Mm-hmm. A lot of different people own that piece of woods. You know, it's not one landowner owns that thousand acres, but it's this giant hollow. And it's just, it's a, it's a good spot for, for deer to, yeah. So, uh, you know, the whole time that my mind was thinking maybe that the core area was in a different spot, I think we were, I was, I was seeing him on the fringes eating his food because where he was, you know, he was living in the woods and, uh, not living in a small patch of woods like a lot of times that they do. He was, he was coming a long way for food because there's no other food. Like if that was his core area. He hadn't come you know, a half mile every night for food. And I just not used to seeing that where I hunt. So, you know, I think that putting it all together is maybe I take for granted that, you know, there's, you know, they don't always live in this little piece of woods and move from one neighbor to another. Sometimes they come a long way for food. And, you know, and that's where I'm hunting normally is food. And that's where I thought, you know, I guess it's different, different than normal. Sure. Very cool. Um, you know, you talked about food and, uh, I'm, I can definitely echo what you're saying there, um, being around uh, a property where we've continued to just expand food plots and, and know the power of food plots. Um, you know, I, I find it tricky to hunt them sometimes when you're hunting hill terrain. Um, I do feel like when you have the capability of having a, uh, a blind that's sealed in, I do feel a little bit more invincible, so to speak, when you uh, when you have those swirling wind conditions that are inevitable in those condi- in uh, in that type of terrain. But you know, I, I the the food is is definitely king. And one thing that I talk about on this channel a lot, and uh, I've talked about with other people, is I, I really like if if the if it's a property that's set up for hunting and hunting alone. I really try to like to have consistency in the food sources. That way you can have a more predictable hunting season. Um, you know, our our food plot plan, uh, so to speak, what we've been doing the past few years is every food plot, you know, it's in a location for the, all the merits that you would normally do it. And every food plot has the same food plot in it. Uh, 50% of it is a, is a brassica blend. And then the other 50% of it is, uh, clover, beans, peas. Um, and we usually top dress everything with cereal rye. And the theory is that we've got food, um, that should be, um, 
sustainable season long from the beginning of the season to the end of the season and it's in the same location so we can hopefully uh, count on deer moving and and relating to that food source and, and make a more predictable hunt one of the challenges i know you face is the fact that <clears throat> hunting a farm while you have food it's forever changing uh, the location and the crop rotation in your neck of the woods doesn't always stay consistent i mean you know just to give an example i mean you might have an alfalfa field that stays in the same location three four five years and uh you know then it rotates out but uh the corn the soybeans the you know everything that's going on on a farm like that it's ever changing so with that in mind how do you go about um zoning in do you tend to key on certain times of the season on your farm for those very reasons of food changing um do you just gravitate to certain portions of the farm when it's in certain crops uh you know for instance if you've got corn that's standing longer you might have more security cover um you know share a little bit about that with me if you wouldn't mind so uh the whole time you're talking i'm here nodding my head like yeah like uh it, it's tough, you know. So, so, you know, alfalfa, alfalfa is, is awesome. Like the first couple weeks, you know, like I've I've killed, and I still kill a lot of doe on alfalfa fields. Like when I'm going to, you know, harvest a doe in both season, I usually hit the alfalfa fields because that's where the majority of the deer are in that first two weeks. Um, I focus a lot on on begging my dad, please don't harvest that cornfield, <laughs> you know. In, uh, in, in, in the end of the season, you know, so, uh, you know, I, I guess a lot of guys really love, you know, I, I, we get people who call my dad, uh, on land that he, he rents for farming. Hey, can you get this, this field, this cornfield off for me? I want to bow hunt and I want the corn to be off. And that's, that's, and that there is a magical three days, in my opinion, of that corn being off. The deer oh, just feel certainly. special. I don't know they feel like there's still corn there and they're they're protected and they come out early and there is that amazing three days but uh there's also you know i feel like if you have a 20 acre cornfield you have like that food cover mix you know and that and i spend i've put a lot of bucks in the rut uh that for that 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 seeking rut type mm-hmm. uh, of rut in the beginning part of the rut on standing corn um I focus a lot of my time on the corners of of, of standing cornfields, like okay. those weak corners that that farmers hate. You know that the deer just, you know, you'll know when you walk around that field. Sure, and it's just like this is the corner that the deer come in, right? And then that's I I, I focus a lot on those corners uh, of cornfields. You know, I don't, you know, that beginning maybe weak, maybe some soybean fields that are still green, but. Soybeans don't do much for me in both season. Mm. Uh, from a farmer standpoint, because uh, my dad usually has, you know, they're, they're normally brown and the deer aren't eating them uh, in both season. But my dad does a lot of uh, cover crop on our farm and the, those fields that he gets in early from those early harvested beans with that new green growth, you know, cover crop, very similar to what you're talking about with the brassicas and the, the, the rye and, and, and and all those special things, the sunflowers and the soybeans that are coming mm-hmm. up that are, you know, that new growth two inches high. 
I hit them in the late parts of the season when they're bright green and everything else is is not bright green. Even that alfalfa that's starting to to die off. You know, I I play the food. I play the food. Sure. Whatever is, you know, I you know, same thing. I quit. I get done hunting. I go I go spotlighting. You know, I, I'm big on. I guess most of my hunting is scouting. You know, like when I'm done hunting, I go I go look. But on Sundays, I go look. You know, I just. For where I hunt, I have to look a lot. Yeah. Patterns, yeah. gear. Things are changing a lot, you know, food sources that time of year and everything. Yeah. I, I think that's interesting. That's, and I've, I've heard people talk about um, using spotlighting as a, as a tool. And it seems so foreign to me. And the reason for that is because so much of the ground that I hunt is large, monotonous timber. And while I can, I can uh, spot some crop fields that are, within the, that deer's home range um the the fields are that large and the where the timber actually meets um you don't really get a great snapshot all the time you might see some deer at certain times um but i don't feel like i get that mri and that feedback on a regular basis like you would hope in that case but uh, i can obviously see how that would be a, a really important tool do you ever have to get creative um you know knowing that the farm is mostly fields and there's not a lot of woods and cover do you ever have to get creative in your ambush points uh based on those crop rotations definitely like if you if you you know some some of my biggest bucks if you saw where i killed them you'd laugh at me like you know i you know, sometimes I have to get into a 12 inch maple tree in a hedgerow 12 feet off the ground because it's all I have mm. to get into because that's, you know, that's where they're coming. Uh, that's where they're coming for that food that night. And I don't have, <laughs> yeah, I definitely have to get creative sometimes. I've, I've had, uh, you know, ground blinds set up on the edge of my yard. You know, I, I've done all sorts of things because, you know, I don't have that wood and, uh, and to be on that food and just the food. Sometimes you have to do some creative things, like getting small trees and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all sorts of different things. But have you had to kill some off the, the ground too? I have never killed one off the ground. I've tried a lot of times. I just never had the success that I okay. wanted at a ground blind. Uh, I've had better success for me being ten feet off the ground in a in a ten inch tree or a twelve inch tree than I have on the ground. So does that mean I don't you know, stay? Of, Go ahead. I think part of it's just every time I've hunted out of the ground blind for where I am, uh, just the wind is mm. hunting on, you know, in hedgerows and stuff. It's tough with a ground blind. I think for me where I'm at, that I know sense. a lot of guys have great success with it, but. <clears throat> um, what do you think, Robbie? I've lost my train of thought. Do you have anything well, I, for him? Yeah, I just, I don't really have a question. It's my two cents about it. I just think it's really interesting and cool and it's just another instance of uh and the bear your the bear that you killed in particular it's just another way in pennsylvania that you're able to harvest a a bear i mean uh when we talked to mark lesher he was the one we when he does all of his drives the standards are the ones that kill most of the bear up at my camp and all my drives the drivers are the ones to kill most of the bear um, I mean, you saw nine bear on camera and were able to get one over a food plot this year. Uh, my brother saw one in archery season. He didn't take a shot at, came six yards in front of him. And I think it just shocked him first time he ever saw a bear in the woods. And 
Uh, so he didn't get one, but he was just I think he changed his pants stands. when he was done. Yeah, he, yep. he did. Yeah. And then that next, uh, that same day in archery season, my cousin and I were just meandering through a chop, and he and I saw one. And if we had a rifle in hand, it would have been down. But with a bow, it was a little tough and a chop off. But mm. just all the different ways you can, like you said, it, you can't really pattern them. The black bear, um, you can see them and try to go back to where, to where you think they are, but they're just tough to kill. And for sure, like we talked about with the turkey, patience, patience, patience. Yeah. I know one thing I wanted to ask you, Dayton. I just thought of it. Um, so so bouncing around on your home farm there, uh, you talked about getting in a 12-inch maple and doing some crazy stuff. Does that mean that you are much more mobile in your setups, or do you kind of, you know, do your rounds and, you know, come up with your game plan, and then when you have a uh, a spell where you can get in, you'll, you'll hang up hang on there and then keep it there for a little while and adjust that way. So I have like uh, probably a dozen or so, maybe 15 hang on stands on the farm and, and, and relatively like, I don't need, I change the rat straps on them. Like they're there every year. Like they're the spots, you know, like I've moved them for, I, I've in the last five years, I haven't moved them because I've moved them so many times. In my life. Like I, I've kind of got a, I've hunted this farm my whole life, so and I and I look at it every day, and I go. So I know where those those fifteen or twelve hotspots are. But then I have these the three my mobile my mobile stands. You know my three hang-ons every year that maybe move. You know, and like you know some of those biggest bucks that I've killed here are been the ones that were like I asked my wife to come with me. You know, and stand on the edge of a field, but I put one up so in case I fall down, she can call nine one one, and I <laughs> I throw it up in it. I throw it up in a, a 15 minute in a little hedgerow, you know, let's just see if it keeps doing this, you know, and I, I like to be done putting my tree stands out a month before the season. Um, just because I, I'm like super don't disturb, don't get my scent kind of guy. Right. Uh, I just, I'm, I'm super big on not disturbing a pattern of any, like I don't like to drive or walk or, Check, you know, that's why I love cell cams because I, I don't like, I just don't like screwing up a deer's, especially in that final month. Mm. I think it makes a big deal, but yeah, I couldn't agree more there. Um, it, uh, it's definitely not going to hurt you in the long run if you take the cautious route. There's no doubt there, but good deal. Um, man, that was one heck of a season. That was an awesome synopsis of, uh, just reiterating your story and uh, and and getting into the nitty gritty and and details of it. So I really again thank you for sharing that with all of us. Um, and congratulations for sure. Yeah, you have a hell of a taxidermy bill this year. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I do. That's hell of a taxidermy bill and a patient wife. <laughs> yes, yes, I do. <laughs> Good deal. Hey, is there anything else you'd uh, you'd like to share with us, or any parting words for us? No, just uh, just uh, good luck to everybody on their uh, the rest of their turkey hunt and going into the next year. I guess. Yeah, man, I need it. I'm going to try my darndest the past few days. It's just getting it's getting tricky to actually find the time. But I must say, I've I've been pleasantly surprised at the amount of birds that I'm seeing revisiting fields in my travels. Um, 
you know, and some of them are areas that are close to ground that I could be hunting. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to hunt some of those birds and also make it work with my work schedule. And that's getting real tricky, but I think I got maybe two, I think I got two or three days lined up, um, at my, uh, my typical hunting location that I'm going to, I'm going to give it, uh, give the old college try, I guess, and, and see what happens. That's all you can do. Just keep after him. For sure. Dayton, thanks for chatting with us. Yeah, thank you. Hey, yeah, thanks for having me on here.